take your Bibles and turn to First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse number ten. <clears throat> Tonight we're, we're we're talking about the perseverance of the saints, the P of the tulip, the last of the five T U L I P. And this is the series of the Latter Times Ministries, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10. The Bible says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So Jesus is not only the Savior for those who get saved, but he's the Savior of those who reject him. He's the Savior of all men. But it's applied to especially those that believe. They're the ones that actually go to heaven. Everybody didn't get the peace of God. It's only those that put their faith and trust in Christ. And, but this kind of revealed that as we were going through the latter times. And we hit that one. And so that's where we're at, uh, number five or six in the uh, mini-series off the, off the side of the latter times series about Calvinism. So let's stop here, ask the Lord's blessings, and get into the message tonight. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. We pray that you would uh, help us. Lord, I know there's some uh, difficult, complex uh, situations, teachings that we need to get a grasp of. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd uh, grant us uh, uh, sensitivity and, and uh, uh, sharpness for the next few moments that we go through this. Lord, help me as I try to to uh, explain things that might be complex or difficult to understand. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Help us not to just uh, get a, 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 uh, an academic um, chalkboard lesson, but, Lord, something that means something to us, something that means something about our salvation, about our walk with you from day to day. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to make it practical. Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd uh, uh, be with us in these, these times that are so very necessary for us to get this. So, Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, 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 Grant us your presence and your help and your guidance. Be our teacher and our guide as we go through these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, one of the particular theological pitfalls in these latter times is Calvinism, and that's the series of the latter times. Um, Among other dangers, pitfalls and potholes in the latter times, the heresy at hand, the heresy of Calvinism, is particularly sinister and a detrimental one. We're living in a time where basic Bible truths are defiled and reprobated by this ever-growing heresy of Calvinism, an offense to a loving, caring, and a fair God. It's not a good picture. It's not a proper picture of the God that we serve. Um, In this flawed theological system, we pointed out the five points of Calvinism, T-U-L-I-P. You can probably go through now and and remember uh, by rote, T. Uh, Somebody want to help me with T? What does that represent? Total total depravity. Uh, U. Unconditional election. L. Limited atonement. I. Irresistible grace. Very good. You're sharp folks here. And then... (laughs) <laughs> and this is an open book test. So. <laughs> I'm reading it too, so I, I get to cheat. So. And then the last one, P, is the perseverance of the saints. You might have seen this as preservation of the saints. We're going to be talking about that, or the difference between them. Very slight differences, but boy, it means a lot. We started looking at the prospects of a limited atonement. That's how we got into this with 1 Timothy 4.10. You remember that? Uh, that Jesus is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. Limited atonement says Jesus only died for a limited people, not for everybody, not for the whole world, just for those <clears throat> who were uh, his elect. 
He's specifically, he's not wasting time or effort or his blood. He's just dying for the church or for the, those he loves, for the elect, not for everybody. And that's what limited atonement says. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he's a savior of all men, especially those that believe. And so you, you see the difference in scripture there. So that's kind of put us into this. And that's the L, limited atonement. And so then we went back to kind of cover the whole thing. Um, the T, the U, the L, I, and now the P, the perseverance of the saints. <clears throat> I've mentioned more than once the awful negative impact that Calvinistic teachings have had on believers, on churches, on educational institutions. Uh, back when I went to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri in 1974, 76 to 80 is when I attended. And um, even back then and much before then, there was always the Calvinistic uh, flavor of those that wanted to push uh, this this uh, system of theology. Um, even before the entrance of these heretical teachings, a person, institution, or church should be prepared with the truth in order to properly combat them and prevent them from finding lodging. You say, preacher, are you worried? Is there, are there Calvinists around here that are trying to push this doctrine? No, not that I know of, but it's coming, and it's everywhere, and it's all around us. And especially even in independent Baptist churches that are uh, leaning toward the Reformed Baptist or Reformed theology, uh, very steeped in Calvinism, there are churches in Washington State that have been lost, that have been lost, folks, to Calvinism. Uh, you remember Everett Bible Baptist supported a church in uh, Seattle, uh, Chapel Hill or... Beacon Hill, Beacon Hill Baptist Church. The pastor there um, was ordained there in the church and went out and started and then was influenced by some Calvinists and then began teaching a Calvinist uh, 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 doctrine, a position, and their pastor had to come in and pull the plug and say, hey, that's not what we paid you. That's not what we trained you for. That's not what we set you up for and supporting. And, and so there is no church in Beacon Hill because of this teaching. There, like I say, there's been good churches in, in Washington State that have gone, I mean, uh, wholehearted into these, into these heresies and these, these uh, fallacies. They're not according to Scripture. Um, <clears throat> one of the reasons for uh, teaching these things to try to so that we won't even have lodging for this kind of a uh, doctrine if it shows up and when it shows up uh, uh, one of the reasons for this is noted by my pastor, Gerald Manley, in his excellent book, The Wilted Tulip. Uh, some of the guys were, were uh, laughing at me because I was at the thing reading, you know, uh, uh, sections of that book, The Wilted Tulip. Uh, this is what he said, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote his words. Very good. Listen to what he said. The Calvinist is more zealous in spreading the seeds of the tulip than he is, or we are, of sowing the seeds of the gospel. To the Calvinist, the beloved tulip is the gospel. That's not an understatement, folks. That's the truth. If you have known Calvinists, especially those that have steeped in this, I mean, they're full bore. <clears throat> he goes on to say, <clears throat> understand that the Calvinist is convinced that, number one, he has the truth, and number two, he must spread that truth. Doing so is a vital part of his persevering. Not to do so is to him inexcusable, unforgivable failure. The commitment of Calvinists to convert professing Christians into adherents of the tulip is unswerving. It is a mission of God. This is the way that they see this. A mission of God to spread this doctrine. It's a mission of God in his eyes. His faithfulness in extending Calvinism is the mark of his perseverance. He must proselytize. 
And so he'll take a church like this and come in and here and there and spread the doctrines and say, oh, did you know that, you know, the, the deeper teachings of grace or uh, the teachings of the sovereignty of God and, and get into all this and try to get a, 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 some, some that will, will uh, uh, buy into that? We're not going to have it, folks. Not going to have it here if we have anything to say about that. So we look on and look at the Calvinists without animosity, but maybe respect. It's certainly spread by a good intention of wanting to widen the glory of God. That's the way they see it. But in the clarifying light of Scripture, it's actually a failed attempt, only promoting the picture of a grotesque and a cruel God, unlike the loving and, yes, the sovereign presentation of the God of the Bible. You remember the basis of, the, of Calvinism is this is saved and this is lost. And there, there's a choice. Uh, it got nothing to do with the man or, or his, you know, member, unconditional election. It's not upon any condition of faith or believing. No, no, it's just picking ahead of time those who are saved and those who will be lost. <clears throat> so tonight we'll progress down to that P there, the perseverance of the saints. Let's try to identify what is perseverance of the saints. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is trying to define it, <clears throat> it's defined perseverance <clears throat> as follows. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, you know, the people that get saved, they can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere there, therein to the end and be eternally saved in the Westminster Confession of Faith. So if you're saved, if you're one of the elect and you've gotten saved, you will persevere unto the end. You're going to make it to the end. And <clears throat> in a, uh, perseverance of the saints is the, is the proof to show that this person is elect because he has made it, he has continued on to the end. He's a genuine believer. Uh, this def definition does not deny the possibility of failings in one Christian's experience because the confession goes on to say this, and I'll, I'll just quote it. Nevertheless, believers may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalence, prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of the means of their preservation fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit. So he's saying, yeah, there are those and even the elect that might fall away or might have a hard time, you know, you know being perfect. You can't be perfect. So you, you know, fall away or, or lose faith or whatever. Uh, but uh, the key is they say for a time they'll fall away, but they'll eventually get back on the track and they will eventually get back to persevering to the end. So perse the per perseverance of the saints is if a person gets saved, they will continue unto the end until, you know, God takes them home and then, the, then they're saved. Sounds a lot like eternal security. It's not, it's not the exact same thing, but it's kind of dealing with the same thing. And if looking at it from, from a, you know, different perspective, you might say, well, yeah, that's, uh, I understand that. So to try to summarize the doctrine... For the elect, those who God has chosen to be saved, they cannot become unsaved by any means. They will per persevere to the end. As the elect may fall, they will not fully or totally or finally fail. Uh, that's their words that they use. But they will be restored to be faithful to the end. While it may be a slight difference between this and the doctrine of eternal security... If I may, let me emphasize what I believe the Calvinist emphasizes in his perspective. 
The believer can only be known to be a genuine believer, one of the elect, if he perseveres, perseveres to the end, if he doesn't give up, if he stays faithful. So the onus is on his performance, not the eternal act of God before the foundation of the world. No, it's, it's upon the believer to persevere unto the end, and, and it's all upon his shoulders. I will illustrate this by the application of noted and prominent Calvinists, including the founder, John Calvin himself. We're going to give you his words about what he thought about that in the practical application. See, because here's a doctrine, but doctrines mean something. How do you apply this? What, what does that mean to you in your life? <clears throat> Regardless what a person affirms they believe, when they hold to a works salvation, then we know that things have gone awry. You say, preacher, you're worried about a works salvation in that death? Yes, exactly, a works salvation. <clears throat> okay, now this whole thing, this tulip thing. Remember that every plank of the tulip, the T, total depravity, U, unconditional election, and so on, uh, the, the, entire, the entire system <clears throat> is one based upon another assumption, which is based upon the other assumption, which is based upon everything is upon the foundation of the beginning, which is <clears throat> total depravity. Man is so totally depraved. And if a man is so totally depraved and dead that he cannot accept the invitation to believe, then God must infuse grace to some and choose some out of the whole desecrated race to be saved. And so therefore, you got total depravity. Man is totally depraved. He's so dead, so lost, that he's got to have Infuse grace. God's got to come in and say, okay, you're, you're dead. You can't respond. So I'm going to have to make you respond. So, so he gives a special shot of grace. What is that when somebody dies and they take that, that thing and they put it in their chest and they push it in there? What is that called? Adrenaline or there's another word for it. Yeah. Uh, seven up or under, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, all, that's what I'm thinking of. Here's a guy that's dead. He's not going to do nothing. And God has to push it in there. Now he's, he, he, no, I'm serious, folks. That's the, that's the doctrine. That's the, the practical of what it is. So, uh, okay, so the first is you're totally depraved. So because, because you're totally depraved, and by the way, it's not scriptural. Grace is grace. Grace of God has appeared to all men. But no, they say this grace, grace that brings salvation, has appeared or has, has been given to certain individuals. Okay, so that's total depravity. <clears throat> Thus, man cannot give one iota of response to God's grace, and so the election must be granted unconditionally by God. Unconditional election. Unconditional election is based squarely upon the assumption of the total depravity, the way they see it. And then, so therefore, it's, you can't have, you can't have uh, some uh, uh, condition that will bring about this grace. No, no, God just has to choose randomly before the foundation. It doesn't matter what you do. What, uh, you are not in, involved. It's all of God. So it's unconditional election. That has to rest upon total depravity. And if that be the case, and if God is indeed sovereign and doesn't labor anywhere where his grace could be rejected, then there must be a limited atonement upon the, uh, the you, the unconditional election. God providing salvation and loving only the ones that he intends on saving. Because that follows naturally. And if that plank, if that uh, uh, floor, if that salvation gets presented by a sovereign God to, an, to a finite creature, 
then that saving grace must be irresistible. Irresistible grace to God who can save. And that's placed upon uh, the uh, uh, limited atonement. The grace is irresistible. The person has to be, get, get saved if God wants that, if he wills it. And then finally, if one is indeed one of the elect, they cannot not make it to the end. They will absolute, absolutely persevere. So every, every teaching is, is resting upon the other. What must be in, understood is that if the original assumption is wrong, then every floor of this building is flawed and false and cannot stand. And that original assumption is wrong. And we've seen that, and that's, you know, lesson gone by. So this doctrine, preservation of the saints, this doctrine is so similar to the uh, Bible doctrine of eternal security, you know, once saved, always saved, that some surrender this one point saying that they do believe this doctrine that Calvin preached. And they're called a one-point Calvinist, or you might have heard that. I'm a two-point Calvinist or three-point Calvinist. I believe that man is totally depraved. depraved. Yep, okay, he's, he's got nothing good in, in himself. I agree with that. And once you're saved, you're saved forever. You, you know, you're not going to be lost. So I, I agree with that. And so they're, they're kind of picking and choosing and saying, well, yeah, I, I agree here. And I, You know, with our definitions, maybe we could kind of fudge that way. But you know what? Not in the Calvinistic, in the strict Calvinistic def- definition of what these things mean. Because their total depravity doesn't mean just what we mean it is, which there is nothing, nothing good or, or righteous or, or, or worthy in a man to be saved. And that's true. We do agree with that. But we don't agree that he's so dead he can't take advantage of the offer. When God makes an offer, he makes it a valid offer. And, and man can say yes. Man can say, whosoever, that's me. I'd like that. You know? And so we don't agree totally with that. But so... Here, the, the preservation of the saints, it, it's so much like um, uh, eternal security that, like I say, some would say, okay, well, I believe that point of Calvinism. But that's a misunderstanding of the original teaching of Calvinism. Or it's a misunderstanding of the present, pre- presentation of the teachings of Calvinism. So before we look to correct false notions and conclusions to the scripture, We'll, we'll look to the Bible to clarify, to reaffirm what the Bible really teaches about eternal security. What does eternal security mean? Guys, this is important. It's important for us to understand that. We must understand what does it mean when we say once saved, always saved. A person gets saved, they cannot be lost. They're eternally secure. You get eternal life from God, it means forever. Never going to be lost. What does it mean? And that is a Bible doctrine. I've taught about eternal security before. And in eternal security, I'm talking about losing your, you can't lose your salvation. And there are groups that teach that you can lose your salvation because they're off and they're they're looking at salvation improperly. But nonetheless, let's take a look at it. What does it mean to be eternally secure? Well, first, you got to understand what is eternal. What's eternal? What is everlasting? What is eternal life? To have promise of eternal life is a wonderful thing. The only way eternal security could be denied is by denying the fact that this is this new life given to you of God is eternal. You, you have to deny that you don't have eternal life. You have temporary life. If after you've been saved, you, God has given you eternal life and you lose that, well, that wasn't eternal, was it? It was only for the time that you had it and then you lost it. That wasn't eternal. Just the definition of eternal life. 
the, uh, the, the, the definition from the Webster's third new international dictionary on eternal is infinite in duration. It doesn't stop. Continued without intermission, ceaseless, unchanging, forever. That's what eternal means. And when you get eternal salvation, you get saved and have eternal life. That means it's forever. But then later on, you lose it. Well, that wasn't forever, was it? It was just until you really messed up and then you lost it. That wasn't forever life, was it? Okay, simple. I mean, it's, it's, if you understand the biblical definition of eternal, then there's no problem. If one's to have a form of life given by God today and they lose it tomorrow, the conclusion must be that it was not eternal. It was temporary. It's not infinite, not continued or ceaseless, but only good for a short time. That's not the eternal life that God gives. And this is over and over and over emphasized by God. John chapter five, verse number 24. Verily, verily, Jesus said, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. We, we uh, went over some of these scriptures this afternoon and talking about salvation, the salvation that Charles Wilder or anybody, any believer could get into. It's eternal. You get saved. You pass from death unto life and you have everlasting. You have eternal life. You're already passed from death unto life. And it's called everlasting life shall not come into condemnation. John 3, 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Again, the definition forever life, not ceasing. Once it starts, there's no end to it, eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you know that verse. You'll have everlasting life, it says. Verse 36, he that believeth on the son have, hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the son uh, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So once you get that life that God gives you, it's, it's everlasting, continuing on forever. John 6, 47, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth, uh, that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Isn't that clear? If God says, I've given you eternal life, everlasting life, forever life, and you shall never perish. That means once you get that, whenever you get that, you're in. The, uh, the celestial umpire says, safe, and you're safe, you're in. Thank the Lord. You get that kind of life, that's eternal, eternal life. 1 John 5, 11, I love these verses. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, forever life, non-ceasing life. So what is that? And this life is in the Son. He that hath the Son hath that kind of life. You got Jesus, you hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So this says, John says, we can know we're saved forever. We can know we're one of the elect or, or a believer. We can know we have eternal life, not by persevering to the end, but by receiving the son. You have the son. That's how you know you have eternal life. Amen. Okay? So, and that's, that's simple. It's, that's right there. Uh, the Bible teaches eternal life by the promises of his eternal presence, like Hebrews 13, verse number 5. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When God makes that kind of a promise, you're in, folks. When he says, I will never leave thee. Well, then what if, hey, what did God say? I will never leave thee. Yeah, but what if you 
I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. Thank the Lord. Yeah, but what happens if you really blow it? You really, you know, I will never leave thee. Is he lying or is he not lying? He is not lying, folks. He cannot lie. He promised this eternal life before the world began. Amen. Thank the Lord for that because he promises his eternal presence. You know, one of the reasons why, why eternal security is not understood by those myriads of religions that teach you can lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you can lose it by what you do or what you don't do because they don't understand the relationship of a person into the family of God where God becomes your father and you are his child. The father-son relationship. Most of this confusion would be cleared up if the simple mechanics of salvation just were understood. When a man is born again, he becomes a child of God, born into God's family. He may shame his heavenly father or, or please him, but he cannot disenfranchise himself. Okay, well, what about the problem of those who have made a profession and then fallen away from believing into atheism? Have you known anybody like that that made a profession of faith? Maybe they were in church. Maybe they prayed a prayer. And they, you know, we called them saved. They called themselves saved. And then later on, they don't believe. They don't believe anything. They don't believe there is a God. Yeah, I've known that before. I've seen that before. You and I both have seen that before. What about that? First John 2, 9. He gives us a clear understanding. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. The Bible says, hey, everybody that says, Lord, Lord, isn't a believer. The Lord says to some of those, I never knew you. Never. Not that I knew you once and then now you walked away. No, never knew you. Because there are those who say that they're believers. You can say whatever you want to say. You can say that a man is a woman. <laughs> and it ain't so. I'm sorry. Isn't that politically incorrect here? But anyway, then, hey, you can say whatever you want to say, but the truth is the truth. If a person says they're a believer and they're not, how do you know? Well, then they fall away and it kind of shows. It kind of reveals you know, that they never were. The Bible places that one into infidelity to begin with. If he's, you know, comes in and out, his latter actions merely reveal the contents of his heart. Second, this is so good. This is so good. I want you to, I want you to look at this. I want you to open your Bible, focus on this one. Second Peter 2.20. <clears throat> this is what Peter says about those kind of people. The people that say that they get saved. They've been to church. They pray a prayer, they're in, and then they're out. This is what Peter says. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, 2 Peter 2.20, if you're there. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after that they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Now, anybody that pays attention to this book, their life will be bettered. Even if they're not a believer, your business would be bettered by the principles in this book. 
Your marriage would be better by paying attention to what God says about relationships. Your, your uh, uh, life would be much better. You know, we talked about this the other day. Even if there was no heaven, I'm so ha- glad that I know the Lord, follow him, and I don't have to waste my, my time, my energy, my money on, on, on uh, uh, addictions that are going to be harmful. Hey, listen, if you just pay attention to this book and the righteousness therein and what God says about the, his commandments, ten commandments and the commandments that you know, he's given for, for his creatures to live by, you can escape the pollutions of the world. You can get somewhat better. But he says, listen, if a person kind of just, you know, uh, eliminate some things in their life because they, they hear about or they, they, they learn a little bit about God and his, his principles, but then they turn away from that and then they're entangled again into their old life, it says, boy, that's a, that's a problem. It'd been better for them not to know the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Look at verse 22. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Guys, this is so important. You get this. And it's so important you understand what God is saying using these two animals. The dog will vomit and will eat his own puke. Let's go eat. <laughs> they do. If you've had a dog and you know that's what happens, maybe your dog was more civil than the regular, you know, uh, natural kind of dog, but dogs do that. They, just the other day, we were talking about what were we were talking about? <laughs> Somebody's t shirt that, uh, oh no, socks. <laughs> you lose socks, the dog eats the socks, poops them out, and then eats his own poop and then poops it out the second time. <laughs> wow, that was, that, was, that was a little bit, you know, strong. But anyway, that's what a dog does. A dog does that. A dog uh, uh, vomits and then he goes back to the vomit and you no, Fluffy, don't do that. And, and God says, this is, what, this is what's going on here. The dog does that because it's a dog. Dogs do that. That's their nature. They do that kind of thing. Why? Because they're a dog. That's what dogs do. You take a, a, a pig and you clean it up. I mean, you clean that thing up and you clip its toenails and polish it. You put lipstick on a pig, you know. You could perfume it, put a nice bow on that thing. And then you let it go, let it do what it wants to do, and it's going right back into the pig, the, the slop, the, where, it, you know, the sl- slop is, you ever see pigs, how they, they raise pigs? Oh, my goodness. When I was a little boy. I, I've got PS, PTSD because of that, you know, watching that. I, I thought, you know, Wilbur, you know, this big, in the, in the slop, the, and they throw the food in that junk, and it just eats, and it poops, and it. Uh, and it stays there, and it loves being in this lap. <laughs> you take it out of that, you wash it up, and let it go. What, is a, what does a pig like to do? Slop. <laughs> hey, no, the reason why it does that is because it's a pig. It goes back to the wallowing in the mire. You can clean it up a hundred times, but it's a pig. That's its nature. It's nature to do that. And that's, see, look, he's not talking about dogs and pigs. He's talking about people that change the outside, but they got a nature that's contrary to God's things. They're going to go back to the world because they're sinners. That's who they are. That's what they are. It's natural for them because it's their nature. 
It never had a new nature, never had a new heart. No, no, that's a person that hears about that's it's somewhat uh, 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 amended by the principles of the book or the gospel and then forsakes that and goes back and he says, hey, listen, you want to know what happened here? It was a dog that came away from the, but it's still a dog. It's a pig that was washed, but it's still a pig. It goes back to the wallowing in the mire because it's got the nature of a pig. That's exactly what happens when somebody hears the gospel. They seem like they change a little bit. How many do you know? Oh, that's Uncle Harry. You know, he, he you know, he's a Christian. Well, you know, he's been living like the devil for 25 years and doesn't go to church and whatever. But, oh, but he's a Christian. No, no. Do you understand what he's saying? The reason why he go, went back to the wallowing in the mire, because that's what he is. He's got a nature that's contrary to the things of God. He's a sinner and wants to go back to being a sinner. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. When somebody escapes the pollutions, of the, gets all cleaned up, they're still a pig. They don't, didn't get a change of heart, didn't get a new nature. They escape the pollutions of the world, they're going to go back into the world. Why? Because the nature of a pig does that. That's the, that is, it's nature. The believer has a totally different relationship with the father. The believer has a totally different relationship with the world, with the far country. The believer has a totally different relationship with sin. After they're saved, well, it's not like sin is not exciting and sin doesn't do stuff, but it doesn't, it doesn't, have, it doesn't hold what it used to hold for the, the new believer. It falls. The pig that has a nature of a pig, you wash it up, and it'll go right back into the, in the wallowing in the mire, but a lamb... It could also fall in the, the wallowing in the mire. It's going to die trying to get out because that's, that's not for a lamb. It's not for a believer. Listen, I've done the same things, the same things prior to salvation to after salvation, and there's a big difference. Oh, no. Same thing that used to, woo this is great, and then after salvation is like, Hey, this is not cool. This is not good. Something's wrong with this. This doesn't hold what it used to hold anymore. Why? I've got a new nature, and it's, and it's contrary to that. Hates it. Doesn't want to be around it. Wants to honor God. Hey, listen. When a person gets saved, they're, they're, they've got a different relationship with sin. And we'll deal with the father's chastisement on his children later. But that's all, you know, this father-son relationship, when a person gets saved, See, if a person doesn't understand that, they don't understand eternal security. Oh, you mean to me that you, that you could get saved and then go and sin as much as you want and still go to heaven? Um, no, the fact is I sin as much as I want today, and I sin a whole lot more than I want. I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to do that. The believer's wanter was changed. It's not like, oh, now, it's, now you have, all of a sudden you have license to sin and you can sin and say you're going to heaven. No, I've never seen it. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. Nowhere in the word of God does it say you sin and then you can you know, do whatever you, no, no, it's not that at all. No, it says the grace of God that brings salvation appear to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. That's what God's grace does. And it does that for a believer. A believer's changed from the inside out. They're, they don't, listen, the relationship with sin and the world and, the flesh is not the same. <clears throat> They're changed. And they have a, a changed relationship with the Father. I could say, we'll get into chastisement in a little bit. 
But look, look at it this way. If a person's saved, they're eternally saved, they've got eternal life, they're saved by what? By their works? By doing good? By lifting themselves up? No, you know that. No, listen, Bible scholars, you know a person's saved by what? Grace. For by grace are you saved. Through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. You know what works are? Works are anything you do. You're, you're, wait a minute. You, you mean to tell me that you can get saved by grace, because that's what the Pentecostals teach. That's what the Charismatics teach. That's what so many others teach you. You could lose your salvation. You get saved by grace, but then you get lost by works, by not doing something or doing something that you shouldn't. Sins of omission or sins of commission. Wait a minute. Are you saved by works? No. Well, then you're not lost by works either. So it's called an illogical conclusion. Most deviant groups will use this kind of reasoning. What if you get saved and then you backslide to the place where you fall into deep sin like murder or adultery or something like that, and then you die in that state? Wait a minute. What sins did you commit in 2018 that Jesus died for some 2,000 years ago to pay the penalty of your sin? What sins were future when Jesus died on the cross? What sins of yours was future? All of them, weren't they? You know, it's not like, you know, well, then I'm saved, but now anything after that, oh man, then I'm, uh, what, what do you do? Then you're gonna have to pay for your own sin? No, no, that was all taken care of under the blood. Jesus died for, for all sin of all mankind. Thank the Lord. And so, uh, you know, all, if you follow, follow human reasoning, it'll get, get you into trouble. To expose this error, one has to logically all the cards on the table in an organized manner. Number one, how is the salvation lost? How do you lose your salvation? You remember that, uh, what's the guy's name? Plays the piano. He's on TV now still. Uh, uh, Jimmy Swagger. Jimmy Swagger, he gets into some uh, prostitution or whatever it was. And he's got these alligator tears and he's, uh, you know, I've sinned and all this. And so, so he sinned. By the way, he never lost his salvation, did he? <laughs> even, the, even the groups that say you could lose your salvation, it's somebody else. It's not me. It's nobody else. It's nobody in this group. It's somebody else. No matter what you do, you can murder, you can, you know, adultery, you can, whatever you do, and then you don't lose yourself. No, no. But anyway, here's, here's a person that is taught you can lost your salvation because of doing something wrong. That's works. Or not continuing to do the right things. You get out of church. You stop reading your Bible or whatever. That's sins of omission. So it's your sin of omission or commission. Now, regardless, it all boils down to one's performance or one's lack of it. Therefore, it's lost by works. How do you lose your salvation? You, you have to lose it by works, according to the people that say you could lose your salvation. Well, wait a minute. What you got to say is, how was the salvation gained in the first place? It wasn't by your works, was it? No, uh, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saves us. 
It was, you're saved and had nothing to do with works. Ephesians chapter two, verse number eight. For by grace are you saved. That means you didn't earn it. It's unmerited. It's God's goodness. It's got nothing to do with your performance. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. So you're not saved by works. And folks, you're not lost by works. Because if you were lost by works, that means that you got it by, by not doing some things or doing some things by your works. You're not saved, not by works. Titus 3.5, I just quoted that, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Of course, we're not saved by works. We understand that. Scripture is clear that there could be no mixture of works and grace. You remember that verse, Romans 11.6, if it's grace, it's no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it's works... No more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Here's grace, which is unmerited favor. God's gift. You got nothing to do. You can't earn it. Here's works. That's what you do, what you earn, your debt, what you earn or, or, or don't earn. This is works. And so, guys, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. You can't be lost by works then if you're saved by grace. Galatians 3, 2. This only what I learn of you, Paul says. Receive you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Here's somebody, well, here's this guy, he was a believer, but then he, he got you know, proud and he, whatever, and he murdered somebody and then he died. Train hit him and he's, he's dead. So he must be lost. And he says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you get saved by the works of the law or by the, care, the hearing of faith? He goes on to say, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit are you now made perfect by the flesh? That's a rhetorical question. You're not. You're not made perfect by the flesh. Galatians 5, verse number 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, that's works, that's doing works. He's talking about if you're going to try to do this thing by works, going to heaven by following the law, being circumcised, and following the, the, the commandments of God, if you be circumcised, then Christ shall profit you nothing. No, no, Jesus saves sinners that, that cannot save themselves. You can't do this by circumcision or following the law. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Hey, you want to do this thing, then you better do everything. You better not break one commandment. You better be perfect if that's the way that you want to go to heaven. You can't do that. We understand that. We, we cannot be a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect uh, unto you, whosoever you are, justified by the law. You're fallen from grace. He says, that's not how you get saved. In verse 9, he says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That means just a little bit of this, this false teaching just ruins everything. You, you don't have grace there. That's not grace. It becomes a works salvation. So if you're saved by grace and you're lost by works, that's a works salvation. Or, and it doesn't mix, folks. And then you got to say, well, if, you, if you're saved, you know, this eternal security, you keep it yourself or does God keep that secure? You're kept by God's power. You're saved by the power of God. And, and uh, in First uh, Peter chapter, uh, chapter uh, 1, verse number 5, it says, in verse 4, you, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We're, we're kept by his power, not by our power, not by our efforts. We're kept by the power of God. We're not left on to hang on for dear life ourselves. No, no, God's got a hold of us. 
Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for that. Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with his exceeding joy. We are presented faultless without blemish before the throne because we have the righteousness of Christ applied to us. No matter what your performance is, you're presented faultless. Isn't that a blessing? Thank the Lord that that's our condition when we're saved by grace. We're presented faultless. We're not hanging on to him. He's holding on to us. John 10, verse 28, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, he says. Never, uh, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Listen, I got a hold of them and they're secure. That's what the teaching of the Bible is. And then they're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We don't even get, get into that. Okay, so that's the teaching of eternal security. Once you're saved, you're saved for all time. You're kept by the power of God. You're not saved by works. You're, you're kept by God power. You're presented faultless because all of what Jesus did on the cross, all of your sins are gone. You're, you're cleansed and you're presented faultless before the throne. Now, that's what eternal security is. To contrast that biblical doctrine of eternal security with what we're talking about, preservation of the saints, let's articulate the teaching of Calvin concerning the preservation of the saints. The difference between what the Bible teaches is eternal security, you know, what we just went over, and the, preservation, the uh, perseverance of the saints in the Calvinist context is the emphasis. Eternal security focuses upon the saints being preserved by God. You're saved, you're, you've got eternal life, you're kept by God, you're in his hand, you're, you're kept by the power of God. Calvinism focuses upon the saints' actions of persevering to the end to be saved. It's the difference between the perseverance, the perseverance of the saints and the preservation of the saints. And perseverance is you got to hang on, you got to persevere to the end. The preservation of the saints, when you're saved, you're preserved in Christ Jesus to the end, faultless. Okay, so that's, that's the difference. It's the difference between the, the uh, persevering of the saints and the preservation of the saints. The Bible teaches perseverance because of preservation. We've been saved, and because of that, then we can uh, make it to the end, honoring him and loving him and worshiping him. First John 2, verse number 2. And he is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. So if you're saved, you ought to walk this way. That's what he's saying. And it's an earmark, earmark of those that, that are saved. If you're saved, this is what you ought to do. If we know him, if we're saved, we have come out of darkness into the light, then we ought to walk like a believer. It doesn't cause our salvation. We're saved by the propitiation of, of Christ on the cross. That's how we're saved. It's a result of our salvation, living for him. Believers are held down to by God, irrespective of their efforts. But the only assurance that Calvinist gives is holding out faithful to the end, which is actually anchored in works. While the difference may seem slight, the application of this doctrine goes full bore into the heresy of a works salvation. Let me, let me illustrate that. So are you, are, you, are you with me there? 
Are you, are you hanging on? One says you got to persevere to the end, which is the, the proving that you're saved. The other says, no, no, you're saved. You're preserved in Christ Jesus. And because of that, you're going to have a change of heart. You're going to want to love God. And God's already done that. And regardless of your, your performance, you're saved. Okay? If you know who John Piper is, John Piper is one of the more popular Calvinists um, on the circuit. Written a lot of books, some, some very good books, and, and is a deep thinker, and, is, and he's a, a good preacher in many ways, but, but boy, he is steeped in Calvinism. And I was just the other day on one of the sites to try to identify these things and whatever, and, and they're showcasing the fact of perseverance of the saints, that doctrine, the doctrine of saints having to persevere to the end in order to be saved. And this is, I'm listening to this message. He talked about this persevering to the end, and this is what he said. I quote, and I, I had to go back and, and get it several times to get his exact words. He said this, I quote, you will fight this till you are dead or you will lose. There is never a season of coasting. You coast and you'll go backward. Now, what is this losing that he's referring to? When he says, okay, this, you know, hanging on to the Christian walk and, and doing these things for Christ, you better, you are going to be fighting this to the end or you're going to lose. What is this losing? Well, according to the formal doctrine of Calvinism, it, it is lose the place of salvation. You'll be revealed as one of the non-elect. If you quit, you're going to be revealed as one of the non-elect. You're not going to be one of the elect and you're going to lose. That's what he says. Say, Preacher, I don't think so. Well, let me go on. He talked about the requirement of perseverance. He's, he said this in so many words. You stopped believing and your believing was in vain. Well, hang on, hang on. There's a difference between this next statement, what he says, that God's going to hold on to you, and then what he continues to say. The, his statement, I quote it, God will hold on to you, will not make shipwreck of your faith. And that sounds right. That sounds good. Held by the power of God. That's what he's saying. God will hold on to you, and you will not make shipwreck of your faith. But he continues with the statement, and he adds this. And you must not make shipwreck of your faith. All of a sudden, it gets really confusing. So which is it, John? Is it uh, God's going to hold on to you and he's going to make sure that you're going to uh, make it to the end? Or do you need to make sure that this is going to hang on to the end? Is it God or is it you? You won't or you must not. Big difference. You must not make shipwreck of your faith. That's what he said. Thus, the Calvinist sees this remaining faithful as the evidence of being one of the elect. But if you fail, if you fall away, if you allow sin to tarnish your walk and fidelity to God, then you are not. You never were one of the elect. Therefore, the elect really don't know that they're saved till the end of their life. Hey, did you hear what I said? Somebody who is elect and that understands these teachings, they really, they do not, they cannot have an assurance of salvation because they haven't lived to the end of their life. They're still in it. They could, they could fail. So they don't know that they're saved because they don't know. If they make it untarnished, then in the grave, you can say, indeed, they were one of the elect. Can you see how attached to a work salvation this is? 
And he goes on in this message, he goes, he stated that if a believer didn't break off some illicit relationship, he was talking about counseling a couple and this person that he was talking to is supposed to be a Christian. He says, if you didn't stop sitting, if you didn't break off this, this illicit relationship, then they would go to hell. That's, is that kosher? Is that, is that true? Listen to what he said. He's talking to someone who is a believer, and he says, if you don't stop this relationship, you will go to hell, meaning you're going to not become one of the elect, and then you're going to die and go to hell because your works, that's your works, isn't it? Isn't it? No, if a believer would be persistent in their sin, their heavenly father will take them to the woodshed. You see, that's the thing that these people, man, you could, you could sin and do all you want to do. Uh, excuse me, have you ever been to the woodshed when your heavenly father took you there and whooped the tar out of you because you were doing stupidness? Foolishness? <laughs> I'm not looking over there. <laughs> hey, listen, I have. I have. No kidding. I've done some really dumb things and paid for it. And you tell me, I'm telling you what. My heavenly father knows what hurts. He knows how to get to me. He knows how to get to you. He's the heavenly father. Do you ever see some parent that their kid does something wrong and, and they, uh, you know, oh, Joey, don't do this. Oh, and he's, you know, and I don't know what to do with him. No, no, you just don't know how to chastise. <laughs> you, you, you make the, the punishment hurt more than the crime. And then the kid stops. That's how it goes. That's, right? And parent? And then how it goes? Our Heavenly Father is a parent that is a better parent than you or I. Yeah, right. And listen, when a believer does something foolish, no, no, no. Heavenly Father steps in. I mean, that's clear. That is extremely clear. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number seven. If you endure chastening, God deal with, with you as with sons. Why? Because he's your heavenly father. You've, entered, you've been born into his family. He's now your father. And he's now not going to put up with, with garbage. He's going to make you fly right. He's going to get you out of things that will hurt you. He is going to chastise you. That's what he says. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. That means you're illegitimate. You're not one of uh, his children. Don't tell me that you can sin and get away with it and do as much as you want to do in whatever direction you want to go contrary to his will. You can't do that. You cannot do that. The believer cannot do that. He's not allowed. See, that's the difference. That's somebody that says, oh, no, you mean to tell me you could sin and get away? No, 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 no. That's the teaching of the word of God. So here is where John Piper is dealing with some couple and they're, they're being, you know, foolish. And he says, you better break this off or you're going to go to hell. No, no, no. If he's talking to a believer, biblically, you better break this off. Otherwise, I'm stepping back and putting up my, my uh, lightning rod because you're, you're in a world of hurt. The Heavenly Father is going to get a hold of you. You, you. Let me tell you, you cannot do that. And that's correct biblical counsel. Because the Bible says... 
if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. It's not sin that identifies believers, but the relationship with the Father that identifies believers. Let me stop right here and ask you. I'm talking about not Calvinists, not people. I'm talking about you folks right here in this auditorium. Do you still have a problem with your assurance? Whether you're saved or whether you're not saved? You don't know whether you're saved or whether you're not saved? And it's upon how, your performance? What? Is that what you're trusting in? You're trusted in how good you do this week, whether or not you think you're a believer or not a believer. Does it, do you still have a problem with your assurance? Do you yet not understand that your salvation is not tied to your performance, but is dependent upon your relationship with Jesus? If you have Christ, you have life. If you have Jesus, you're saved. If you don't have Jesus, you're going to hell, no matter what you do or don't do. Hey, don't get fooled that it's what you're doing. That's how I know that I'm saved because uh, how I performed this week. What? Are you kidding me? 1 John 5, 11, This is the record that God has given on us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have it. How do you know that you're saved? Not by your performance. You know you're saved because you got the Son. Because you, you have the Lord living, indwelling in you. And there's a, there's, there's a big difference. It's hard to believe that the simplest tenets of salvation are not understood by venerated Bible scholars. Uh... Piper continues with the statement. He says this. There was another counseling that he was going through. He says, if you don't forgive her, you're not going to be saved. Hey, did you hear that? The Calvinist, what the Calvinist says, this is what he says. This is salvation. If you don't do something, if you disobey God, then you are not going to be saved. This is so blatant. Is it, is it not seen to, to be a works salvation here? That's a, folks, that's a works salvation. The fruit of Calvinism, this perseverance unto the end, or you're not going to be you know, one, of the, one of the saved. Well, then what about believers who fail and are stubborn, who sin unto death? Hey, you're, you're, you know what the Bible teaches about sinning unto death? The Bible teaches that a saint, a believer, a brother, a Christian can be so obstinate where they're not, they're, they're going to be rebellious to God and they're not going to, no, nah, no. Nah. Did you ever have a kid like that? You know, hey, you better get right. Whack, 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 whack. I'm not going to cry and I'm not going to do what you want. Whack, whack, whack. You, hey, you know what? You can... You can whip that kid until there's blood, and then you go to jail. And that's not good. So what do you do? You take him home. You know what? We're getting away from this. We're going home. I'm going to deal with you there. <laughs> Folks, that is exactly the sin unto death for the believer. James 5, 19. Brethren, if any one of you do err from the truth, now, so any one of you, brethren, a saved person, and one convert him or, or change his mind about that. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. 
<clears throat> that means, hey, listen, believer, that means if you're so obstinate that you are not going to get right, and God says, no, no, you walk this way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Well, then God says, uh, enough, enough of this. Eventually, he'll chasten, he'll get rougher and rougher and rougher, and that's how chastening goes. First, it's a little, you know, warning. And then it's a little tap. And then it's a whack. And then it's get out the belt or the spoon or whatever. And then it's come on home. I'm going to be dealing with this at home. And that's the sin unto death that he's talking about. He's talking about a brother, a, a, a believer. First John 5, 16. If any man see his brother, a saved person or lost person? That's a saved person. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death. I mean, that's any sin that you get chastened for. You're doing wrong, you have pride, you have lust, you have something, and God speaks to you, deals with you. He'll, he'll, he'll meet out the chastisement that, it, that, uh, that matches the crime. So you'll learn, you'll grow, you'll forsake that. That's any sin. Any sin, God chastises his children just like that. That's any sin. But then there is a sin that's not like this. That's a regular sin. There's a sin unto death, and that's what he says. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, that's a regular sin. He shall ask, and he shall give him life for, for them... For them that sin not unto death. But then he says, wait a minute, hang on. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. He says, listen, when a believer gets to that point, you know what? When my dad got a hold of one of us because we did something really, really stupid, dumb, not good, unwise, and we knew it, and he was, he was mad. He was, he was going to be dealing with them. Everybody else backed off. Go ahead. Dad, deal with it. I'm just glad it wasn't me that, you're, that you got a hold of, you know, because you want to get out of the way. That's what he's saying. Say, you know, if there's a believer that is so obstinate, they're going to go into this relationship. They're going to go, they're going to be rebellious here. They're going to do whatever it is that they're going to do and nothing, not even God's going to, then he says, that's a sin unto death. And he says, don't, just get away from that. Don't even pray for that because God's going to take care of that in a very, serious way. That's called the sin unto death. First Corinthians eleven twenty nine. Remember this, where he's talking about the Lord's Supper? For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now he's talking about believers and they get together into church and there's some sin that's unforgiven or unconfessed. They're not dealing with it properly. And God's, God's speaking to that person and this person is not getting it right. And God chastens that person. What does he say? He says, he eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you. He says, hey, people lose their health over this stuff because God, man, when he spanks, when he chastens, it's tough. And sometimes a person can even lose their health because of an obstinate situation that they refuse to, to submit to the Lord, their father. But then he goes even further than that. And some... Sleep. This sleeping thing. It's not like, and some go take a nap. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. No, no, this sleeping thing, and you can go reference after reference of the, in the New Testament. When a believer dies, it's, uh, there, there's a, uh, oh, what's that word where you say something and it's not? Euphemism. euphemism. There's a euphemism for death in the, in the Bible, and it's Sleep. Isn't that wonderful? The Christian, when I die, I'm going to fall asleep in the Lord. Amen. Because I'm going to get up in glory. You know, it's going to be a different situation. And, and that's what he's saying here. 
he's, he's talking about chastisement. Some believers, if they're not going to get right, if they're, they're obstinate and they're, and they're rebellious and they're not, they're not, they're not, and God's going to spank them, God's going to be rough with them, and if, and if it's to the point where it's so bad, then he says, and many sleep. Or does he say some? What does he say? Um, many sleep. That means that early church. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They went to sleep. <laughs> believers that... that were, were uh, uh, obstinate in rebellion, they slept. That means they died. The, that's called sin unto death. These are believers who sin unto death. They fall asleep. Only believers do that, not unbelievers. They fail to the end of their life. And God says, okay, child, that's enough. Now come home. Going to deal with it here. The Calvinists would falsely conclude that, well, if, if somebody is obstinate and they're, they're not following the Lord and then they die, well, then they weren't a believer. They didn't persevere. Until, not God. God didn't say that. Well, it's talking about a believer here, folks. Calvinist, sorry, Calvinist is wrong. He's wrong here. Perseverance unto the end. No, that's not... It, no, no, not at all. The Calvinists falsely conclude that that one went to hell. That ain't going to sleep. That's being lost forever. Big difference. Dying father gathers his children around his deathbed. And knowing his kids and knowing who they are, their history, and, and their relationship, their spiritual walk, he tells the little one, he says, uh, son, I love you. I'm, I'm going to heaven and... I don't know that I'll miss you, but I know you're going to be missing me, but I'm going to see you again. So I'm going to, I'm going to lay down and, and I'm going to die here. The Bible calls it sleep. He says, but I'll, I'll see you again. And he hugged him, kissed him. He says, I'll embrace you again. I know it's tough. This is tough, but I, I'm going to see you again. Daughter, I love you. It's been so wonderful to me watching you grow in the Lord. And I just keep on that road and I've, I've got to go. I've got, I can't be around. God's calling me, and I'm, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go to sleep. And, but I'll see you again. I'll see you again. Good night. He called, he, one after the other after the other of his kids, good night, good night, good night. And then he came to the one child that never accepted Christ, and he says, listen, I love you. I don't know if I'll ever see you again. Goodbye. He says, Dad, why'd you tell everybody else Good night. And he's telling me goodbye. He says, because you're not going to heaven unless you get saved. And I might never see you again. Folks, that's the difference between sleeping and being lost forever. It's a big difference. I mean, a big difference. <clears throat> what we have to understand here in the teaching is works don't equate salvation. Titus chapter 3, verse number 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saves us. We got to understand that. We got we to gotta mark that down. But in all the practical teachings of the Calvinist, works are the difference between heaven and hell. One can say to a child, go wash your face and mother will love you. But there's something off kilter with that statement. That's not really how it goes or how it should go. No, no. A genuine mother establishing an emotional stability upon her kid will say something like this. Mother loves you. Now go wash your face. It doesn't matter to me, you know, whether you got a dirty face or not. I love you, period. I love you. Now that I love you, go wash your face. You're my kid. It's a big difference saying, go wash your face and then I'll love you. See, God doesn't say that. You, you hang on to the end and then I'll reward. No, no. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. 
A genuine mother says, mother loves you, now go wash your face. We're not saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works. You gotta get this straight. Hey, uh, church, you thought this was about Calvinism? No, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. Here, our faith. What is your faith trusting? Where are you? Are you trusting in your works or are you trusting in what Jesus did on the cross for your salvation? You got to get this straight. John Calvin himself was no more or less a Calvinist than the multitude of followers of his today who have no bedrock assurance of their salvation outside of their enduring to the end. In Calvinist last will and testament, I'm going to read to you his last will and testament. This is what he said. He recorded these words, his words, right before, uh, a day or so before he passed. He's, he's uh, affirming his last will and testament. John Calvin, the guy that came up with this whole stuff, this is what he said. I also testify and declare that it is my full intention to pass the remainder of my life in the same faith and religion which he has delivered to me by his gospel, having no other defense or refuge of salvation than his gratuitous adoption on which alone my safety depends. Do you hear what he said? He, he wasn't saying, I'm, I'm dying and I'm going to heaven. He says, my intention is to hang on because uh, I got no other defense than his choice, his adoption on which alone my safety depends. He goes on to say, I further testify and declare that as a suppliant, I humbly implore of him, that means beg, I humbly implore of him to grant to me to be so washed and purified by the blood of that sovereign redeemer cited to the sins of the human race that I may be permitted to stand before his tribunal in the image of the redeemer himself. He says, I'm begging God to, to wash me in his sins. On his deathbed, he didn't know that his sins were washed away? No, he did not. You know why? Because of this damnable doctrine that says you got to persevere to the end. And so here, not knowing that, I mean, it's, it's up to God whether he chooses or not chooses. And so he's imploring, he's begging God to be washed that I may be permitted to stand before his, his face. He merely intends on remaining faithful. And he begs God to wash him from his sins and permit him to stand before him in that salvation. He certainly did not have the assurance that Jesus made clear to his followers that they have eternal life, not fearing hell, but upon putting their faith in him, their past from death unto life. You remember the scripture, John 5, 24, verily, verily, Jesus said, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has, has, has everlasting life, shall not come. Into John Calvin didn't know that. He was hoping maybe, you know, just, I mean, it's on his deathbed. Man, I, God, I implore you to, to, to save me, to, to, to uh, uh, wash my sins away. I hope that's the case. He had nothing else to, to, to uh, lean on. Immediately before death, John Calvin had no such assurance of salvation because the fruit of such a theology places, places all the security in a God who is fully in charge of flipping that switch of the celestial train tracks, honoring some with life and cursing others with death, according to his own choice and decision. And he knew it. That's the God he was facing. 
This is a, folks, right here, this is a great place to thank God for that assurance that he presently gives to believers who have fled to Jesus, having their names written in the book of life. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? In Philippians 4.3, this is what he said about believers. He says, whose names are written in the book of life by what they did, by their evidence. He says, no, they're saved. They're saved. He, he knew something that John Calvin didn't know, I guess. He received him and have that, that divine assurance in, in, in our souls. The Bible says, uh, Romans 8, 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We have that witness and God gives it to us. It's not this persevere to the end to make sure and that's the, that's the, 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 the uh, proof. No, no, the proof is that we have this spirit and God gives us that assurance. Amen. We understand that one who becomes a believer is fundamentally changed from the inside out. They're a new creature. They have a new goal, new aspiration, a new nature, a new relation to sin. They're also chastened by a loving father who will not allow them to get away with rebellion. And somebody will bring up Lot. You know how that, well, Lot got away with living like the devil. Uh, excuse me, he lost everything, didn't he? That's an example of somebody going to the woodshed big, big time. There is, no, there is no such thing of a, a believer that gets to go, I'm not going to do what you want me to do, God. No, it's a, not, not under his heaven. No, no way. Those are the earmarks of true faith, a faith that brings us to divine transformation of justified children adopted into the divine family. We all know those who have professed. It's not what a person says, but what's true in reality. Some who claim to know Jesus, but they don't have any of the earmarks of salvation. You know, they don't look saved. They don't love the, the word. They don't desire to be in a good church. They're, they don't want to be within the reach of the Holy Spirit. Or uh, They're not chastened when they do wrong. And they're, they're allowed to remain in rebellion. But no, they're away from the church and they're away from the Bible, a fellowship of believers, anything spiritual. But they're saved? Oh, come on. Get out of here. In what Bible do you see that? Are you kidding me? Let's stop right here to make a point of your hobnobbing with those. Those kind of people are your best friends, and that's where you feel comfortable in. Friend, you know what you need to do? Apply what 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. You might not have Christ in you. You know, your, your, your desires, you, you look more like a dog or a pig. You got that kind of a nature rather than a believer, a lamb. It doesn't make sense. You mean, really, if that's what you gravitate to and that's where you are and that's... And you think you're a believer? Oh, come on. See, God changes a person through faith. But doing or not doing does not equate to salvation. Getting back to the Calvinist, it comes down to a work salvation. While a changed life should indicate genuine faith, a changed life doesn't purchase that salvation. Even though they would affirm that they know this, their teachings have mutated into a salvation dependent upon their holding firm to the end. That's a works salvation. So we conclude about preservation of the saints. Two points. Number one, doing righteousness doesn't guarantee salvation. No, no, that's a works salvation. Number two, righteousness comes, or it's a fruit of, 
genuine salvation. It's that natural outcome of faith is works, is what a person does and how that they're changed. And that's because of, not to get. Listen, folks, in my darkest failures in my Christian walk, in the times that I was, um, you know how, you know, when the Lord's Supper comes around and we encourage everybody to partake of the Lord's Supper, and then we say, don't do it if there's some awful sin or sin that you're not going to get right or something that's, that's, that's remaining in your heart, don't partake of the Lord's Supper. Paul warned the Corinthians about that. And we just read it. You know, that's why some are chastened, some are sickly and weak among you, and some even, I mean, they, they go home. God deals with them at home. It's serious. And I've known that. I've been taught that all my life. And since 1974, wasn't doing what I knew I should have been doing and I needed to get right. And, and I knew down deep inside, the Bible says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. You can, you can try to superficial this thing, but God sees, he knows. And I, there was a couple of times, I mean, even in those darkest failures that I've been through, I still, I still have known, even then, still have known that I was a believer, a believer without joy, without his presence, without his light on my pathway, without the grace of God being strong in my life, without his power, but a believer bracing for the chastening hand of God, knowing because I was a child, I knew that. Wasn't, I'm not proud of that, by the way, but I wasn't obedient, but I always knew. I always understood I'm a child. I was still saved because once I received eternal life, came to stay. <laughs> what Jesus said, he didn't lie. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him, I did that. I have eternal life, shall not come in the condemnation. I knew I was a believer going to heaven, but I was wrong. I was in a state of rebellion and in and, and the woodshed, in the woodshed. But I still knew I was saved because it wasn't upon my works. It's upon my relationship to God. A person who comes into the transaction of salvation, trusting both parties, God and me. God, you do your part, and I'm going to hang on to this to the end. I'm going to do this, and you hang on, and I'll hang on. And if you come into salvation like that, you're not saved. Excuse me, you're not saved. You're lost. Preacher, I don't like to hear that. Hey, listen, you better hear that because this is the best, th- the best news you've ever heard is the truth of your salvation. It's not me and God, and we're both going to do this thing, and I'm going to persevere to the I'm going to do right, and that's my salvation. That's not salvation. That is, that is, that is not grace. Trusting both parties. It's not, you're not saved. You can't be saved. You're never going to be saved because this is not something that God shares. He saves alone. You cannot add to it. You can't keep it. You can't hang on to it. Your works plus grace is an atrocity of grace. It's deviant grace. It's twisted and it's grotesque and it's flatly rejected by God. That's not salvation. You better get saved. Totally trusting what Christ did. Every head bowed, nobody looking for just a moment. I understand that the, the uh, subject and the series has been awfully heavy. I understand that, I know. But it's important. 
It's important that each one of us has an assurance of salvation in the proper way, biblical way. And if there's maybe tonight, you come to the realization, this, you know what? There's some things that are not right. They're not right. They're, they're, they, they need to be changed. I, I, need to be, uh, I need to address this. And tonight is the time that you do that. You just go ahead and do business with God. If you're not saved, don't know for sure that you're saved. Maybe it's because of you're trying to trust like John Calvin in works and trying to keep it and trying to do this. And you don't know. You, you'll never have that assurance of salvation. Maybe that's where you're at. And what you need is you, you need to be really, truly saved. Have the witness of the Spirit. Man, do something about it. Don't go on. Don't pillow your head tonight without getting it settled, trusting in grace, God's grace, and his grace alone. Got nothing to do with your performance, with your works. That's what you need to do. Believer, if you're saved, then we can rejoice in God's um, providence and his his, uh, chastening care. He chastens us because he loves us. Thank the Lord for that. And our preservation is only because we've been preserved. Thank the Lord for that. So uh, maybe you need to rejoice with that. Whatever it is that God's bringing you to tonight, maybe there's some decisions that you need to make. Let's, let's go ahead and, t- and take the next few moments to, to, to do business with God. As the pianist plays, this is a time of invitation to deal with what the Spirit of God is speaking to in our hearts and our, our lives tonight. <laughs> 